Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. We all have a deck of cards. For some of us, those cards are things that we couldn't couldn't control. Maybe it was maybe it was a rejection that we didn't see coming. Maybe it was genetically something was passed down to us from a previous generation. Maybe those cards are we've never just felt f- fulfilled. Maybe. Somebody dealt some cards into our deck about what they said to us and what we were told as a child. Maybe it was just the family we grew up in. Some of us have cards that we don't have any control over. And then some of us have cards in our deck that we do have control over because we've made some bad choices and you, you reap what you sow, right? We've, we've sinned. We've suffered from addiction we've done things to other people we've hurt other people and now our deck is kind of messed up because of choices that we made no matter the cards and how they're dealt to us whether it's through someone else or through our own mistakes or just something we fell into in life what can be really easy to happen is that that one thing that we see as negative can spiral begin to spiral out of control and so we were rejected as a child, and before we know it, we're trying to earn everyone's attention, and we're trying to prove ourselves to everybody we come in contact with, and if we're not careful, it continues to, to spiral, or maybe we made a, a wrong choice to flirt with someone we weren't married to, and if we're not careful, and we take that to its conclusion, and we continue to, to spiral and spiral and spiral, eventually, we gets out of control, and we, we hit rock bottom. Today, I want us to look for just a few minutes uh, at a story in the Bible, and I want us to see how sometimes sin and Satan and just the cards that life deals us can cause us to spiral out of control. And what are some warning signs that maybe that's, that's happening? Today, I want to I I talk about sin. Y'all excited? That'll fire you up on it. Today, I want, I, I don't, and I don't want to just talk about, I just don't, I don't want to just talk about sin because the, 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 the term sin in the church has, has kind of been hijacked for a long time. And for some of you, when, when I say that word, and maybe you're not a believer, or maybe you're barely a believer, when you hear that word, it, you immediately feel condemnation. But sin isn't just disobeying God's laws. It literally means to miss the mark. And the reason why that's important to God is because it separates you and him from relationship. And only through Jesus can that be solved. But it also robs you of the best life that he has for you. And so whether it's sin or whether it's, it's an insecurity that you have inside of you, I want us to look at some warning signs that that thing is beginning to take control and take you down a, a road that's going to lead to rock bottom. Today, I want to talk about the bounce back, the bounce back. I'm going to be in um, a famous Bible story. As a matter of fact, um, whether you've been raised in church or not, you probably know this story. Um, 
it's probably not David's most famous story. Uh, his most famous story, the same guy that this pl- story is going to have in it, is the David and Goliath story. Matter of fact, just yesterday I was watching a football game and I heard him refer to as the David and Goliath story. We, you, don't, you don't have to have been raised in church. You don't have to have read your Bible to know the story of David and Goliath in its least form, right? Uh, a, a little tiny, tiny shepherd boy kills a large giant nine feet, nine inches tall. He goes down and then David becomes king. And so this story we're going to talk about today is from that same guy, a guy that the Bible would later say was a man, quote, after God's heart. But where we're going to pick up this story with King David, he is king at this point, but this story does not make David look like a biblical hero. It makes him look more like a biblical zero. Y'all know what I mean? Ladies, get yourself a hero, don't get a zero, right? This, this story is going to look like, make David look like he is, he, he's, a, he's a zero, like he, he has no, no potential. And the reason, one of the reasons why I love this story is because I think it, it proves that for all of us, we, we have this broken thing inside of us. But what this story proves is that God can use broken people in big ways. This story proves that we serve a God who is in control and can still use messed up, jacked up people to do something beyond our wildest imagination. And so if you're here today and you think I have screwed up, I have outrun the grace of God, no one likes me, God has given up on me, look at my life, look at what he is doing to me to punish, to punish me, let me just tell you, the God that you are blaming is also the God that's going to blow your mind if you will let him. Because he can still do it. He still uses messed up, jacked up people, and that does not mean you are exempt. You are included in that. So here's David. We'll pick it up in First Samuel, or Second Samuel, chapter 11. Starting in verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, now, just pause right there. This is, this is an interesting, because this wouldn't really radiate in our context today because wars are fought year-round. But in this time period, the winters were so cold and so wet that it would make battle and campaigning basically impossible. And so they would pause for the winter. And so when spring came back, everybody would go back to war. That's why it says when kings return, normally go out to war. It says David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. So just to, just to explain what's going on here, David has indeed, some people will push back on this and say that he was told not to fight. He has been told by his advisors not to fight, but that still didn't mean he wasn't supposed to go to war to help lead the army and to help strategize. And so here's David. It's the time when kings are supposed to go off to war, but yet he decides, I'm going to stay home. King David opens the door for the spiral. He opens the door for things to begin to collapse in his life. Now, what card was he dealt? He was dealt the card that it was wartime. That's the card that he was dealt. He had very little control over what happened. Some of you, you are dealt a card, you have very little control over it. You have very little control about losing your job. You have very little control about how you were raised. You have very little control about what other people do to you. He had no control over the card that he was dealt, meaning we're going to war. What he had control over was what he did in response to that card. And where we see David here is David and his, David's men are going off to war and here he is staying home. He left the door 
open for sin to get in, 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 for sin to get in and for his mind to begin to spiral out of control. It's an, it's a, it's, it's an open, it's an open door. And one of the things that I've learned over my short life is that God opens doors, but so does Satan. For, for some of you that have been in church for a long time, you've, you've always heard that God opened the door. But while God will use an open door to lead, Satan will use an open door to deceive. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll allow an open door to be opened and we walk through it and it does not lead to where we wanted it to go. How many, how many, how many of you understand this? Like, just because the door is open doesn't mean it's right for you. Just because the door is open doesn't mean that God told you to. Some of you have some relationships in your past to prove it, right? Some of you have some marriages, let's be honest, in your past to prove it. Some of you have some purchases that you drove to the parking lot today that proves that just because, just because you get approved for the loan and the door opens doesn't mean it's God. And, and, and for those of you that, that are seasoned believers and follow Jesus with all of your heart, it is very lazy following Jesus to believe that every open door is God. So immediately the pushback is, well, how do I know the difference? Well, God, when God speaks to us and God leads us, he will never lead us outside of something that's in his character and something that's in his word. And so just like anybody that you follow, you can begin to know their tendencies as you follow them long enough. And sometimes the hard truth is, is you have to go through some bad doors before you learn the ones not to, or for, before you learn the ones to walk through. And so here's David. Satan has opened a door, gave him a chance to stay home from war, and he's opened the door. One of the big ways that Satan will try to open the door to a spiral in your life is through idleness. And by idleness, I don't mean rest. We all need rest, right? But I mean, by what, what he'll do is he'll try to begin to convince you that you have no value because when you believe you have no value, you believe you have no purpose. And when you have no purpose, you just kind of give up and throw up your hands. The worst thing you can do when you're tempted or when you feel like you're sinful or when you feel like you're no good, the worst thing you can do is get lazy and idle. That's exactly where Satan wants you. That's the open door. And here's David. He's idle, right? He's at home. He's, he, he's, 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 he's sitting at home when everybody else is off to war. I, I want to I tell somebody this morning, because you have believed differently, and one of the cards that you were dealt was that you weren't good enough. I want to tell somebody this morning that you are valuable, that you have purpose, that all of God's promises are not for everyone else, but they are for you. I want to tell someone, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel don't become idle just because you've fallen once or just because someone told you something one time or just because you lost the job or just because you feel like you're not a good provider for your family or just because you feel like you're not a good wife because you can't provide for him in that way. You are still valuable. Don't let yourself be or have the door open to you that you are invaluable because if you do, you will pay a big price. You are valuable. You matter. Don't believe anything different. And your hope, your hope is not on your ability. 
Your hope is not on what somebody says to you. Your hope is not on what's in your bank account. Your hope is not in who wins an election. Your hope is in Jesus. And you're valuable. So the door is, David's left the door open because he's gotten idle. He stayed at, at home. But he still had a choice. Look at verse 2. It says, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, how many of you would like to... <laughs> Listen, let's, let's all vote for the person that instates a midday rest, okay? Y'all good with that? I mean, I'm in. It says, late one afternoon, somebody after the first service said, I'm retired, I get a midday rest. I was like, touche, you win. After his midday rest, David got out of the bed and was walking on the roof. Now, when it says walking on the roof, picture pacing. He was, he was pacing back and forth. And one of the reasons that a lot of people say that he was pacing is because he knew he wasn't where he was supposed to, supposed to be. And when you've left the door open to sin and other things getting into your life, usually you know it, don't you? It says he was walking on the roof of his palace. As he looked out over the city... He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba. Isn't that cool that her name's Bathsheba? <laughs> Y'all ever thought about that? I mean, it just wouldn't quite have the same ring if she was taking a shower and her name was Shower Sheba, would it? <laughs> Let's change it. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a shower. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he, and he was told, she is Shower Sheba. <laughs> All right, I'll quit. The daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So the, the door is open, but David had a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Your life tomorrow will look like your choices today shape it. That's a lesson for the young people, right? But it's also a lesson for the older people. The choices you make today are largely going to determine what your tomorrow looks like. The door is open. Satan has a way of opening doors in our life to bad choices. Then we have to make the choice. And notice, David, David it says, noticed Bathsheba. But that wasn't where he made the wrong choice. Like, men, if you see a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop naked, you're going to notice, right? Y'all don't leave me hanging. Raise your hand. If you see Shower Sheba and you're pacing your rooftop, you're going to notice, right? Let's be honest. That's not where David made his choice here. David made his choice, not that he noticed, but that he did something with it and he made a choice. And here's why that's important. Because what you'll hear a lot of times in the church is you'll hear, you'll hear something that goes like, thinking it is just as bad as doing it. It's not true. That's a lie. And, and, and the, reason why, the reason why Satan will try to convince you of that is because if I really believe that thinking it is just as bad as doing it, then I might as well do it, right? Because I'm, I'm going to think it, Right? Now, does the Bible say that look, to look lustfully at a woman is the same as adultery? Yes. So there are some things that that is true. But, but there's a lot of things that thinking it is just normal, but then you have a choice to make. 
And if we're not careful, once the door is propped open to our bad choices, we will choose the wrong choice, not because we think about it, but because we capitalize on it and because we act on it. For some of us, for some of you, you have, you have these, these triggers in your life that will make you make bad choices. And one of David's was obviously being in the wrong place, being on the rooftop. What are the, what are the things in your life? What are the people? What are the places? What are the smells? What are the things that, that, that trigger you? to make bad choices. For me, one of those is being tired and emotional. Anybody else? Tired and emotional. And here's something that I have to tell myself all the time. Don't make long-term decisions based on short-term emotions. Some of you need to write that down. You need to put that in your mirror. You need to tweet it. You need to MySpace it. You could, you could kind of tell the age of the audience by who laughed at that one. You, some, some of you, you need, to, you need to write that down because if, you, if you're not careful, you've made, you've made some long-term decisions based off of short-term emotions. I loved him. I loved her. I thought, I thought we were going to have the money. I thought I was going to be able to. I, I, I thought I should take this job. I was tired of my old job, but now I'm in this job, right? Don't make long-term decisions based on short-term emotions. David acts on his emotion. And in verse 4, it says, Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. That's, that's important to the context, but not important to our story. I won't talk about it. <laughs> then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba, or Shower Sheba, discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So David makes... The choice. And we know from other parts of Scripture that David already had multiple wives. So this, this lust, this intimacy issue in his life was obviously something. Like this was, this was an, an issue in his life. And so once again, David tries, David tries to fill the void for intimacy or wherever this is coming from once again with a woman. If you and I, if we try to fulfill spiritual desires with natural lust will always be left empty. Because what will happen is you'll have a need. We all have needs that need to be met. We all have insecurities. We all have issues. We're all broken. We all have these holes inside of us that need to be filled, whether it is a need for intimacy whether it is a need to be valued, whether it's a need to, to, to feel like we're intelligent, whether it's, it's a need, whatever it is, we all have these needs inside of us. And what often happens is we will try to take pieces of natural things. We'll try to take a purchase. We'll try to take a job. We'll try to take a certain salary. We'll try to take a certain feeling. We'll try to take this woman and this man. We'll try to take this, 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 and this and try to cram it to stuff it into that need. But the problem is, is that always runs out when you're trying to fulfill a God-shaped hole with ungodly things or things that aren't his, it's always going to run out. It's kind of like me eating Doritos for lunch, which happens. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. Doritos and Diet Mountain Dew. What happens? Don't y'all judge me. But, but what happens is I'll eat those Doritos or the bag of Doritos for lunch. And what happens by three o'clock? I'm hungry again. Do you know why? Because I am trying to fulfill, I am trying to fulfill a real need with something that doesn't satisfy, with something that won't sustain me. Some of you this morning, you're on a spiral out of control and it's because you've never identified the real need. You, you don't, you don't need them. You don't need that thing. You don't need that habit. What you need is you need Jesus and you need him to, you need to get close enough to him for him to fulfill that inside of you. You're always gonna be left hungry. You're snacking after dinner, following it up with Funyuns. <laughs> David, seems to always be left hungry. And here's, here's the thing, and I didn't say this first service, but I wrote this down. The place that you fi- try to find freedom from those desires will eventually be the place that you want to get freedom from. Right? The place that you go to to find freedom for those desires that are real, if that place isn't a godly place, you'll eventually want freedom from it. Because it can't sustain you. So David does what many of us would have probably done. Tries to cover it up. Verse 7 says, Then David sent word to Joab, Send me... Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. So here's David. He's got to cover it up, right? It's the cover up. His plan is to, if he can get Uriah home from war, to sleep with Bathsheba, everyone will think it's Uriah's child instead of hers. Do y'all, see the, do, y'all, do y'all see the plan? But he's trying to cover up his mistakes. When we begin to think we have to cover something up, it probably should be a warning sign that we need to expose it. But David, David doesn't here. When, when life, when it becomes tempting to cover it up, it should trigger you to expose it. My question is, who do you have in your life that when you're headed down a track and you've begun to try to cover things up that you can talk to and you can expose it. David obviously didn't have anybody. So Uriah doesn't go home and doesn't obey King's David's orders. Look at verse 11. It says, Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Man, this has to be frustrating, David, right? Have you ever been here? Have you ever been here like you know you're wrong, but you've got a plan, doggone it and follow it, right? This has to be frustrating. This has to be frustrating to David. 
And now David's sin is beginning to affect more people than just him and just Bathsheba. Now it's starting to affect Uriah and the other members of the army, isn't it? Because sin will always affect other people. Those, even those insecurities that you have and those, those, those cards that you've been dealt that you had no control over, unless those things are dealt with, they will always affect the people that are closest to you. So now Uriah is wrapped up into this whole plan. But David goes to plan B. And, and arranges to have Uriah killed. Verse 14 says, So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Una on the front lines where the battle is, is fire cast, or, or fiercest. Then pull back. Wait, I totally messed all that up. <laughs> Did I say Uriah? Let's start over. Good plan. <laughs> so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Whew. So the plan works. But put yourself in David's shoes right now. He's got a good heart. He's a strong man. But he's left the door open. He's made bad, bad choices. He's starting to spiral out of control. He has really murdered Uriah. This has to be rock bottom for him, doesn't it? Like, this has to be the point where David looks around and he thinks, I could handle it when it was small. When it was just a white lie, I could keep up with it. When it was just one drink, I could handle it. When it was just one night of getting drunk a week, I could play it off. When it was just one mistress, I could keep up with my stories. When it was just $100 I was taking from my company, I could cover it up. But do you see what begins to, to happen? It begins to, to snowball. And here is David. Finally, he's at rock bottom and he's at his wits end. And if I prayed and cut it off right here, I would be, meeting, uh, I would be um, making spiritual malpractice. Because what I want you to know today is that no matter how far down you go, no matter how far you fall down the spiral, no matter how many things you've tried to stick in to cover up that insecurity, no matter how many times you've promised God this is the last time, no matter how many times, You've sought help and you've thought that that was going to do it and just to fall into it again. No matter how many times you've messed up, Jesus is always at the bottom to help you bounce back. Jesus is always at the bottom of your rock bottom. He is always there. And the problem in the church is we have... We have a lot of people that either won't talk about sin or they talk about sin to use it to manipulate you. 
we have, if we're going to talk about sin, we have to talk about the antidote to sin. If we're going to talk about the antidote to sin, we have to talk about sin because Jesus has never left you and he is never, you are never going to outrun the pace of grace. So what does that look like? Watch, in Psalm 51, David writes a psalm that is written at the end of this story. The psalms are a book of different songs and a lot of them are, are, some of them are written by David. And this is what he says in Psalm 51, verse 1. It says, have mercy on me, O God. Sometimes it takes rock bottom for you to be able to cry out for mercy. Sometimes it takes rock bottom for you to really figure out who God is. Have mercy on me, oh God. Because of your unfailing, because of your unfailing love, David recognizes who God is. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Next verse. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. So what does the bounce back, what does the bounce back look like? How do we get started? Maybe you're here this morning, you do have some, you've gone to some pretty great lengths to cover up your insecurity or to cover up one of those cards you were dealt, or maybe you have allowed sin and the spiral of it to take you down. The bounce back begins with confession. You see, confession requires desperation. The sin that David committed here under Old Testament law was unforgivable through sacrifice. He would have had to been cut off from the community. It was called a sin of the high hand because it was premeditated. So I have to imagine that this is rock bottom for David and David's thinking, unlike us today, he's thinking, I have no hope. Like I'm the king, I seem to have it all together, but I'm at my wit's end. And that is the very thing that got him to, him to confess, have mercy on me, God. He got honest because of your unfailing love. Wash me clean from my guilt. Some of you have so much guilt hanging over your head. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It's desperate, confession is honest. Confession acknowledges who God is and what I've done. The bounce back begins with confessing to God, but it also begins with confessing to other people. Who do you have in your life that you can confess to? You guys last week heard about an amazing ministry we have called Celebrate Recovery. I don't know where you are in your journey, but we, we're all broken, we're all messed up. There's some honest people there that would love to help you get started on your, on your bounce back. 
Thursday nights at 7 o'clock in the building over there. They're very welcoming, even when Kirby's there. (laughs) Ephesians 1, verse 7. Talking about Jesus, it says, In him we have redemption, through his blood the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That word redemption means a price was, had to be paid. It literally means to redeem, means I pay a price and I get something back. The bounce back begins with confession, but it's only made possible through Jesus. So if you're in here this room, in this room this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. And you have felt your life spiraling out of control. As a matter of fact, multiple times you've said, I'm going to quit it. I'm going to stop it. It's not going to happen again. The reason it keeps happening, one of the reasons is because you don't have Jesus. You can't meet spiritual needs if you don't have Jesus. So this morning, maybe you feel like he is calling you out in the best way possible. Maybe you feel that in your spirit. You feel it in your gut. You feel it in your heart. You feel it in your head. In the quietness of this room, I would love for you to say this out loud, but you can certainly just say it in your head. He'll, he'll hear you. Just say, Jesus, I confess that I've messed up, that I'm a sinner, that I've missed the mark. But I also really do believe that you came and you died and you rose so that I could be redeemed, so the price could be paid. So I give my life to you and I'm going to follow you and I don't even know what that means yet but I'm, I'm going to find out thank you for rescuing me thank you thank you for saving me in Jesus name Amen for the rest of us I don't know what your thing is today what card that you've been dealt or where you're at in your spiral or how you're broken or how you're hurt. But you know, as a matter of fact, you immediately thought of it probably at the very beginning. As soon as I started talking, you knew that thing, you knew that issue, you knew that spiritual need that you've been trying to meet in physical ways, you knew. So this morning, I I want us together to confess it. I want us together to acknowledge who God is. whether it's a sin, whether it's a thought pattern, whether it's a feeling, I want us to give that up today. If you could just hold your hands up like this, with every head bowed and every eye closed, whatever your thing is, as we symbolically say, I'm letting go, but not just I'm letting go of my issue, but also I'm taking hold of what you have for me, God. Whatever your, whatever your thing is, just say, God, I let go. I surrender, I confess. I confess my shortcomings, but I also confess your greatness. Have mercy on me, O oh God. Thank you for your unfailing love. And God, as I let go, I take hold of all that you have for me. And I'm gonna take the steps that I need to take to not put anything else in my hands but you. God, thank you so much for the honor 
and the privilege to teach your word. God, not just to teach your word, but to teach your word to some amazing people in this room and watching online. God, I've done the best I could to to be gentle, loving, but also truthful. So God, I pray that you would help for us to let go, to let go of what's robbing us from the best that you have for us. God, for those people that are about at rock bottom, God, help for them to look for you. Sometimes that's the easiest place it is to find you. Jesus' name. Amen.